What's going on, FA Nation? Welcome back. Huge this, uh, huge week this week for NASCAR. They are headed to Charlotte, coming off Coda. Uh, Coda was a fun little experiment. Uh, could have gone better. Could have had better weather. Could have had better you know, decisions during the yeah. Race. Yeah, but I'm Dan Malin, joined by the FSWA two-time NASCAR Rider of the Year, Matt Sells. Matt, what do you think of Coda? Uh, I was very excited to have Coda on the schedule until I then saw the actual schedule for race weekend with same-day qualifying. Uh, as I know, that jammed us both up, especially when Tyler Reddick decided to go out and win the pole for the uh, cup race. Uh, was not expecting that, so I had to go shift a bunch of stuff around and basically redo all of the content in like an hour and a half on Sunday morning. That was fun. Um, had, what, uh, pouring rain for cup practice on Saturday morning? Pretty much pouring rain all weekend for everything. Most of the weekend, yeah. Um, didn't catch much of Friday's on-track stuff, but I think it was pouring rain basically all day Friday there, too. Uh... It was raining off and on for the truck race, basically, or torrentially raining for the truck race. Um, Then it was pretty well dry for Xfinity, which Kyle Busch then went out and dominated. Then it was misting for cup qualifying, and then it was, I don't know, I guess torrentially raining for most of the cup race to the point where nobody could see anything on the backstretch, which... Okay, so in fairness, they should have called a caution a lot sooner on that backstretch before McDowell couldn't see anything and then Truex ran into him and then Cole Custer absolutely just flat drove into uh, Martin Truex Jr. I don't blame anybody for any of that because uh, they, they couldn't see. But then... I don't know. It was a little weird when they decided to call it when they did. Like, it was a quick trigger there on calling the race. They didn't wait. Like, they had waited out rain earlier in the weekend and waited out to dry the backstretch earlier. But then they pretty well quickly called it in that last caution. Um, so that was a little that was a little shocking to me there that they would call it that quickly. Do you think that um, they they what? It was a 69-lap race, right, for the Cup? 68? Yeah, 68-lap race. They called it 14 laps early. Yeah. That, I mean, even that, like, it's it's not a lot of laps, but it's also it's just a long track. Right. And then so when you're thinking about, like, a race, you're like, well, high 60, like, 60s laps, like, that's not a lot. But, like, this was a long race. Like, do you think, like, possibly if they go back to go to that, they maybe shorten this thing a little bit? Maybe. I don't know. They're, they're, they're looking at, I mean, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of laps for the DRC earlier this year, too, right? Yeah. Um, and that's a 3.6-mile track. Um, you know, we're going to go to Sonoma in a couple of weeks. There's, uh, what, usually about 110 laps for Sonoma? Usually about 90 for Watkins Glen, right? Yeah, 90 for Watkins Glen. Um, so, I don't know. I think mileage-wise, yeah, it's a little longer. They might take a few laps off, but I don't. I think they want longer road courses for the I mean, for I, the I, I get it, like... 
with like the cautions and, <clears throat> and the weather, like it just felt like a really long race and the, the racing itself was exciting at times. Um, How about props to Kurt Busch for not actually hitting anything? You know, you know, the best way to not get stuck in the gravel is to just is to drive keep going. straight through. <laughs> As NASCAR Chasm put it, if the if Kurt Busch had been the pilot of the uh, boat in the Suez, the Suez Canal, Canal, it never would have gotten stuck. <laughs> uh, but yeah, props to him for not hitting his brother or Austin Dillon as he split the difference right yeah. through turn eleven. That was very, that very was impressive. Fantastic. Especially if you watch it, because I remember when I watched it in real time, I was like, oh, <laughs> he just avoided a wreck. I'm like, oh, damn it, Kurt, he just killed some of my lineups. But then when I watch it in slow-mo, you kind of just marvel at it because it is impressive how he manages to avoid both those cars, go straight through the gravel, and then he just drives through the grass and gets back on the track. Yeah, and I mean, I get the the people going, um, you know, cup guy or, you know, NASCAR is not meant to race in the rain. Okay, but in fairness... For the last four years, NASCAR fans have been telling them that they want them to race in the rain so that the road courses don't get rained out and they're more like IndyCar and F1 that don't have rain delays. Then we get to race in the rain and everybody goes, oh, we shouldn't be racing in the rain, which is kind of a standard NASCAR fan response at this point. They try what the fans want them to do, doesn't work the way the fans want it to, and then the fans complain about it. So... We'll see what they do. There's like five more road courses coming up. Um, can almost guarantee there's not going to be weather concerns at Sonoma. Uh, there, <laughs> there very rarely is. Um, you know, we I think still. It's have... one of those things though. It's like, like you can't really like put a blanket statement on the whole thing because like it was just like a torrential downpour on that backstretch at Coda where it's, it's, it's a very, very long backstretch where right. without rain, they can hit 180 miles an hour. And obviously with rain, they're not going as fast, but any in-car camera that you looked at, like they couldn't see out the windshield very clearly. Yeah. By the time Truex sees the blinking light on McDowell, he's basically into McDowell's trunk. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, so I think they go. They clearly are going to go back there. There was a whole lot of buzz. The the fans. I mean, they sold it out. It's a gorgeous track. Last. Yeah, it's a phenomenal facility. World class. Uh, F one drivers rave about it. Which you know, it's pretty good. Pretty good track. If F one drivers are raving about it, the Cup guys thought it was challenging. They just didn't want to do it in the rain. Um, so we'll get a truer test next year because they were saying on the broadcast that Austin gets 300 days of sunny weather a year. So just one of those weekends. But now we get Charlotte for the traditional Memorial Day weekend spot for Charlotte Motor Speedway and the Coke 600 for Cup uh, on Sunday night. It's a Sunday night race. It starts at like 6 Eastern. Yeah. Uh, on Sunday. So don't expect this thing to end until, I don't know, between 11 and midnight. Yeah, night. it's it's like, a long race. It's a long, long race. Four stages, 100 laps each. It's a doozy. Yeah, it's a pretty long, it's a pretty <clears> long <throat> race. And we get qualifying again for all three series. Um, I know it's not a new track, so it's a little weird to have qualifying, but it is one of their three premier races. Uh, they said before the season started Daytona 500 Coke 600 and the championship weekend in Phoenix were the three premier races on the schedule. So we'll get on track qualifying 
uh, for all three series this weekend. Uh, so let's just talk about Charlotte really quick. Typical mile and a half, um, similar to Texas, Kansas, Vegas, Las Vegas, Atlanta to an extent. It doesn't have the tire yeah. It's work. got it's got the same shape and banking as Atlanta, but not nearly the tire wear. The tire wear is a lot closer to, I'd say Vegas. Really, um, it's a fairly low tire wear track. Um, this is mostly about stamina of the driver, the equipment, and the teams to not screw up and make mistakes. Um, it's a 400-lap race, so it's a very long <laughs> it's a very long race, and there's going to be a lot of dominator points. I remember when we previewed this race a year ago, and what I'm about to say probably applied more to last year than it does to this year, simply because we don't have too many rookies. But you have said in the past that the Coke 600 is a race where you typically don't look at rookies because just the attrition that you need and, and just the stamina to get through a 400 lap, 600 mile race, like you, like rookies aren't really well prepared for it. So is it safe to say like you won't have much exposure to Anthony Alfredo, who's going to play Anthony Alfredo, but also Chase Briscoe, who has been looking more comfortable in his car? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I said that last year, right? And then Christopher Bell and Cole Custer went out and had really good runs last year. <laughs> yeah. uh, especially Custer, who moved up, I think, like 15 spots. Uh, finished in the top 15. Bell, I think, finished in the top 10, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a case-by-case basis. I mean, I'll sprinkle in a little bit of Chase Briscoe, who's been looking better and better. Um but yeah, I mean, generally speaking, the guys in worse equipment and the younger guys are guys that I stay away from in this race simply because it is really tough on equipment. It's really tough on drivers, um, and it's tough on crew chief, uh, on crews too because they got to be focused for, you know, they get that one extra pit stop at the stage break because there is four stages in this race. The only one all year with four stages. And there tends to be a decent amount of cautions, especially as it gets later and guys lose focus and kind of hit the wall a little bit more. Um, or parts just straight up break. Um, you know, hopefully we don't have what we had happen last year, which is still the only time I've ever seen it happen in an NASCAR race, which is the ballast flat fell out of Denny Hamlin's car. Oh, that ruined so many of my lineups. I forgot that that was this yeah. race. Yeah, Denny Hamlin's... The, the ballast that sits in the bottom of the car to weight it down and, you know, make it come to the standard weight it's supposed to be, uh, fell out of the car coming to the green um, or on the pace lap, one of the two. So he started the race, I think, what, four laps down? Five yeah. Laps down, something and, like, like that. His chief was suspended or something immediately. Um, yeah, it was not, it was not great. Um, he did actually run pretty well after, you know, getting it squared away and whatever. But, um, yeah, so, you know, the, the, the younger guys were probably going to stay away from here. Okay. Um, do you want to just start previewing races? I'm not sure if you had any news you wanted to, to discuss. Um, yeah, we'll touch on a little bit of news. Um, not going to go into a whole lot of detail here, but Chase Elliott will have a new spotter for the foreseeable future. Um, I don't remember his name exactly, but I do know that it's his cousin. 
Um, he has spotted for Chase Elliott before. He's been a like a secondary spotter on road courses for the nine team. He's also part of Chase Elliott's management team, apparently. Um, and the reason for that is that Eddie DeHaunt has been suspended indefinitely for some uh, off-the-track incidents that happened. Um, you know, the, the details are still kind of coming out. Uh, you can look those up for yourself. But, yes, he's been suspended. Um, so, yeah, Ch- going forward, Chase Elliott will have a new spotter. Um, that is kind of a blow because Eddie DeHaunt's been known to be one of the better spotters um, in the Cup Series. He's also been with Chase Elliott for the last four or five years. Um, so, you know, it'll be a little bit of an adjustment. I don't think it'll be that big of a deal. Um but a little bit of one. All right. Well, I guess we can just start talking about the truck race. Oh, uh, and for anybody that saw the fake tweet, Kurt Busch is not retiring at the end of the year. <laughs> I Somebody saw put out a fake tweet, got a bunch of people to believe it. Kurt Busch put out a, a, a what was that? A Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah. He's clip the, with uh, his face over Leo's speech. Yeah. With his face over Leo's. Uh, face saying he's not going anywhere. Um, yeah, somebody somebody posted a fake tweet. So uh, Kurt Busch is not leaving the one car as far as we're aware. That's not been <laughs> – there's no news there. Um, quickly touching on truck and Xfinity trucks. Uh, they have same-day practice and qualifying ahead of Friday night's race. Uh, the wager alarm piece for tomorrow night's race is already out. Um I don't think it's necessarily a race that you need to get exposure to betting wise. I think that if you want to take um, some, you know, better finishing position wagers, I threw out two in that article. Didn't really love necessarily any of the bets to win, but I still mentioned a few. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek is going to be very popular. He's the most expensive driver in the slate at 10,900. Uh, he and Creed will likely be the two highest known for dominator points. The uh, Nemechek has just looked phenomenal on mile and a half tracks. They're kind of his bread and butter. He won at Vegas. I think he has top fives at uh, Atlanta and Kansas, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so, uh, yeah, definitely looking at those two for value plays. And these are not just solely the guys I'm building around. Going back to Todd Gilliland, 8,400. I know he won last week. Uh, I mentioned him in the playbook as a GPP play. Uh, just overall, he's looked very, very good. He has four top six finishes in his last five uh, races. Going down a little bit farther, you can look at a guy like Drew Dollar is 6,900, which is nice. Uh, he's in Kyle Busch's truck. You're getting an ARCA driver who's taking a step up in terms of competition, but he's going to be in phenomenal equipment. Um, By the way, he, sweet name. Drew Dollar? Yeah. Yeah, the guy's money. Um, yeah. Austin Wayne Self is still hilariously underpriced at 6000 He's probably having one of the best seasons to date, and it just seems like he's capable uh, or safely capable of finishing in the top 20, and he has top 15, top 12 upside. Um, admittedly, I have not looked closely at the Xfinity race, but we are getting Chase Briscoe at 11000 I don't know the car that he's in off the top of my head. I think it's the 90. Don't quote me on that. Um, Ty Gibbs is stepping back into the star car for JGR, uh, 10,800. He's been phenomenal in that ride with four top fives, uh, including a win, uh, back at DRC. Uh, 
Let's just go to the cup race because I haven't really done a deep dive yet into the Xfinity series. I will do that tomorrow night. I'm mostly trying to prep myself for the truck series because I still have to write that darn playbook. Uh, according to DraftKings, by the way, Briscoe is in the 99. <sighs> yeah, but they're, they're so wrong on yes. so many different levels with their driver profiles. Okay, so let's go ahead and we'll quickly check Jason. <laughs> I'm sorry. Probably I more. I didn't want to like... No, you're good. We'll go with uh, Jayski, by the way, has him in the 99. Maybe they're right, and I'm just stupid. Uh, BJ McLeod is in the 90, so they could swap and put... If McLeod's in the 90 at 5,100, McLeod's certainly in play. Yeah, that's what Jayski has for the entry list, is that McLeod is in the 90 and Briscoe's in the... Technically the 199, but it's the 99. I think McLeod ran the 90 at Dover, and he almost cracked the top 20, and he's 5,100. So a shot at 5x value if BJ McLeod is truly in the 90. Um, but I'll have a full breakdown on Saturday morning ahead of that race. And um, I'll try to be in the chat updating, providing uh, some thoughts on guys going to the rear um also uh guys that i may add or guys that i'm getting exposure to based on qualifying and position differential again the playbooks this weekend for me at least are going to be guys based off of just who i like at their price how i like them at their track history how they've looked this year and then i will be in the chat adding last minute plays based on how qualifying shakes out and with that we can go to the cup race Sounds good. All right. So this is a Charlotte race. Uh, Matt and I have discussed the the Coke 600 before. This is basically Hendrick Motorsports' home track. They're, well, it's mostly everybody's home track, but Charlotte, yeah, Hendrick really takes pride in winning at Charlotte because you literally have to, um, like, basically pass Charlotte Motor Speedway to get into the parking lot for Hendrick Motorsports. Like there, it's that close to Charlotte Motor Speedway. So, um, while a lot of the teams, most of the teams for NASCAR are based in the Charlotte area, um, Hendrick is by far the closest to Charlotte Motor Speedway in terms of like geographically. So, with that said, is it obvious that uh, is Kyle Larson going to be the most popular play of the week? Yeah, yeah, he is. It's a mile and a half track, which he's already won at this year. He's also looked really good at other ones that he did not wind up winning, right? Um, so, like it, like Atlanta, he looked really, really good at Atlanta, did not win there. Um, Kansas. Kansas looked really good there. Um, obviously, Dover is not a mile and a half track, but similar enough, he looked good didn't win um yeah with this many dominator points on on the table um and the equipment being as good as it's been for larson this year three straight races he's coming in finishing second place yeah um who else did that somebody else did that like last oh truex last year i think had eight straight races of a third place finish i think Last year. Um, But, yeah, Larson is going to be the most 
popular play. Even if he's on the pole, even if he's not on the pole, doesn't matter. There's a boatload of laps led points, a boatload of fastest laps points on DK. There's a bunch of like laps led points that are actually going to matter on Fandel. Larson's going to be the most popular play. Um, I'm not really paying that much attention to his track history, really, which is only, you know, it's okay in the last uh, four runnings of this race. Um, but again, this equipment is so much better than he's been in in the past. He's clearly clicking on all cylinders. Guy's already led more than 200 laps in, what, a couple of different races this year? Um, mm-hmm. We've seen, five years ago, we saw Truex lead all but eight laps in this race. So it's entirely possible somebody gets out and just sets sets sail. And just, am I saying Larson's going to do that? No. Am I saying it's possible? It's possible. (laughs) What's your read on Chase this week? Uh, He's coming off a win, but it was a shortened race. And it was was one that a lot of people think that NASCAR waited until he was in the lead. And then they kind of called the race just to give him a win. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> a little bit because he and Kyle Bush were both in the same boat, right? Where they were going to be short on fuel. And Kyle Bush realized they weren't going to call a caution. So he came in and pitted. And then they called the caution when Chase was out in front. And it is what it is. Um, I don't know that the off track stuff is really going to distract him that much. I don't think that that is really going to take is really going to have that big of an effect on him. Um, I think the bigger effect on him has been that he still only kind of looked so-so this year, right? Like, we're still waiting for the... Yes, the car came on late at Coda, but again, it's a road course, right? It's Chase Elliott at a road course, so he knows how to get his car set up for the end of those races. You can also... You know, wonder did his car really look that good, or was he making that good of track time because he was just trying to, you know, get that big of a lead in case he needed to pit and not lose that many spots, right? Because um, it's also easier to see when you're out in front in the pouring, right? Um, but in this package, like his best run was what Kansas, right? Um. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he started seventeenth and he finished fifth. Yeah, that was his best race in this five fifty package. Other than that, it's kind of been. He's only led eight total laps since Phoenix. Yeah, so you know that's kind of the risk you're taking right now with Chase is that he hasn't proven he can run up front. Uh consistently this year could this we like the fact though that he's at least getting practice in qualifying yes yeah i mean you have to well that can apply to every driver in the field it's still gonna help him um but i would say he's still a gpp play only because you're going to need laps led if he doesn't get laps led you're not hitting value with chase elliott right uh, what about the other two Hendrick drivers, Alex Bowman, William Byron? I feel like Byron could sneakily be flying under the radar. I think, and I, and I, yes, I think that Byron is a sneaky, sneaky play this week. Um, he oh, no, his top ten streak broke last week. Yeah, he finished eleventh last week at Coda because the pit, the way the pit 
worked out for him at the end there. He kind of didn't. He really needed Chase Elliott to pit so that he could move into the top 10 late and keep his top 10 streak going. Um, but no, he's looked really good this year, too. Um, this has not been a race that's been great to William Byron. Um, he has managed a top 10 finish here in this race before. Um, and the way he's running this year, that's clearly, um, you know, he's clearly capable of that. Could he possibly be the fourth highest played Hendrick guy? I think he could. I think, I mean, Larson will be one. I think Bowman's probably two. I think Chase is probably the third highest. And then I think Byron's probably the fourth highest played. That's, by the way, that's not the order I think that they would finish in terms of points. But I think that's the order that they'll be played. I think, uh, for me personally, Byron might be my second most played in GPPs. Oh, I'm not saying I would play Byron the fourth. No, no, no. no. I, I get what you're saying. You're projecting like the, the field's field ownership. Correct, yeah. The field's ownership, I think, has Byron the lowest. Mine, I would say, would be Larson, Bowman, Byron, Chase. I think for me, I would swap Bowman and Byron just based off the lineups that I've made already. And I was telling you about them earlier. Yeah. Uh, but I. Well, it all, have... it's also going to depend on where they qualify. Right. Yeah. And that so is always like, the big caveat that whatever we say now could entirely change based on how things shake out with qualifying. There's $200 difference between Bowman and Byron. So if there's a huge differential in where these guys qualify, you're going to take the PD upside for whoever it is, right? Yeah. Regardless of if it's Byron being 200 bucks. I mean, 200 bucks isn't going to break you, right? Because everybody, there's almost no other guys that are only $100 <laughs> less than somebody else. So, But that's how I see Hendrick shaking out this week. Uh, what about JGR? I know a lot of people are seeing this as a mile and a half track and you know, like there's a stigma with Martin Truex Jr. that he dominates mile and a half tracks. Like he dominates short tracks and road courses now, but hasn't really been the same guy a mile and a half, especially in this package. Yeah. So let's let everybody else play a whole bunch of Martin Truex Jr. and let's lay low on Truex this week. If it bites us, it'll bite us, right? But here's the thing Truex has not won a race in the 550-horsepower package since September of 2019. He is O for his last 27 races in this package. Um, so could he go out and lead a bunch of laps and then not win? Yeah, that's happened to him this year, right? The last, what, five times he's led more than 200 laps in a race, he hasn't won it. I think they've said something like that. Um, so it's possible... Am I saying to completely fade Truex? No. Don't completely fade Truex. I'm just saying don't go hog wild on Truex thinking he's the counterplay to Larson and avoid Larson to go get Truex because Larson's been a whole lot better in this package than Truex has. <laughs> and Truex has a year and a half of struggling with it. Um, so, I mean, overall, he's been good in this race. And five years ago, he led 392 of the 400 laps. That's not going to happen this time. It's just not. Um, but his teammate that still flies under the radar, for whatever reason, Danny Hamlin, 
should be set up for a pretty good race this weekend. You think he wants to redeem himself after last year, too? I think so. And if you actually look at the loop data from last year, which is getting a little bit into the weeds, but it's basically the advanced metrics put out by NASCAR, right? If you get away from his run position and driver rating and average finish, which a lot of people look at for DFS, those aren't great. But you got to remember, like we mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, the ballast fell out of his car to start the race. So he started several laps down, and there's no way he was going to make that up, right? There's no way he was going to get back on the lead lap once that happened. However, once he got back on the track, his green flag speed at him is the fourth fastest car in the race, regardless of position. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the ballast isn't going to fall out of his car again. I mean, I've been watching the sport for, you know, I mean, obviously, every race for about the last eight years, but off and on for, I don't know, 15 years, I've never seen that happen. Never seen a, a, a ballast fall out of a car before a race. So that's not going to happen again. Uh, Hamlin is, I think, primed to get a win. Um, He's currently in my big single entry lineup, so this makes me feel warm and fuzzy. So, yeah, I think I think in terms of JGR, I'll probably be heaviest on Hamlin and second heaviest on Kyle Busch. I was I kind of agree with that because I I know when I preview the truck series and we I talk about practice and qualifying I apply that a lot to Johnny Sauter and how that's an argument for him. I think that applies more so for Kyle Busch because he's being able to practice, he's going to see how his car feels on the track, he'll be able to make adjustments, communicate with his team. Um I think this could be a potentially huge week because I'll be honest like aside from Kansas which is where I had my most Kyle Busch exposure thank god because he won. Um but I've been pretty light overall on Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick this year but with what we have for practice and qualifying this week it's 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 kind of a level playing field for everybody I feel. And so I definitely want to even out my exposure and land on more Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick heading into this weekend at least. Yeah, um, I definitely feel more comfortable with Kyle Busch than I do with Kevin Harvick. Although I say this before we see anybody on track. Um, I think the whole SHR team is struggling because there's there's, uh, one of their owners is busy starting another racing league. And I don't think his attention has been on the garage very much, uh, but more so on a garage elsewhere that they're starting a new, uh, you know, the, the SRX. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's also like, aside from Kevin Harvick, do you have a lot of confidence in the other three drivers? I know Cole Custer won last year at Kentucky. Right. That was a great restart with two laps to go. Right. And then he held it. Yeah. Right. Other than that, he didn't do very much at all the whole rest of the year. Like, they have two very young drivers. Right. They have Eric Almarola, who could be on the outs. Yeah, but uh, in fairness, he's just had bad luck. Like, I don't think everything is just Almarola is that bad and whatever. I think it's... I mean, a little bit, yeah, is 
his, you know, it, he's not a bad driver. I just don't you know, think he comes back to the ten car next year. I'll agree with that. I don't. I don't see. I don't see why they would keep him necessarily. Although he brings sponsorship um, to to Korea, I think Smithfield's backing down a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll see Kevin Harvick on track, and then see. Uh, you know what we think about them a little bit more, um, but did we just preview SHR? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Custer had a really good run here last year. Um, I think it depends on where he qualifies this year, in terms of if we're going to play him or not. If he's starting in the mid twenties, sure. So with Custer, I guess it it depends on where he qualifies, right? If he's going to qualify in the mid twenties, then I'm all over him. If he's going to qualify in the teens, we'd have to think about it a little bit. The closer to the front he qualifies, the more we're going to have to think about it a little bit. Um, Because then it just becomes about him holding the position and whether he can do it to hit value, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of Fords, there's really only two Fords that that intrigue me this weekend. It's Ryan Blaney and Chislowski. See, for me, it's probably – I agree with you on Blaney because $9,000 is too cheap for Blaney. But at the same time, and, and, and I know this might not be his, his preferred track, but Joey Logano at under $9,000, that's, yeah. that's hard to pass up for me. I mean, it is, but here – so here's my thinking, right? The In the last five Coke uh, 600s, there are only two Fords that rank in the top 10 in average finish in that span. One of them is Cole Custer, who ran it last year and finished, I believe, 13th. And one of them is Brad Keselowski. Those are the only two guys that have averaged, that have that when you put together their average finishes across the last five Coke 600s, none of the other Ford drivers are in the top 10 in the field. So... This hasn't necessarily been Logano's track. Um, I also think Logano's a little bit preoccupied with some stuff that was said off the racetrack <laughs> by Kyle, Kyle Bush. Bush. Um, Kyle Bush started some stuff on the I Am Athlete podcast this week, uh, or last week, I guess, um, that Logano took exception to. Um, so we'll see. I mean, yeah, that's a little cheap, but there's a reason it's cheap, right? He hasn't really done anything on the track recently. So, you know, nobody in Penske has really done anything on the track recently. Right. If you look at Kozlowski's, since Kozlowski's win at Dega, you know, he finished third at Kansas, but then, you know, three straight finishes outside the top 15. Blaney, since his win at Atlanta, he has a couple top tens, zero top fives, and a couple finishes outside the top 15. Nothing drastic. Um, and then Logano, since winning Bristol Dirt, a couple, he, he has more top five finishes than the other two. Um, but again, it's just like, you know, Penske's kind of just gotten lost in the fold a little bit over the last couple of races. A little bit, and the reason why I still like Blaney is if you look over the last 12 to 15 
races in this package and over similar tracks, Blaney ranks second in terms of green flag speed. No, I hear you, and I'll definitely so, get my share of Blaney. Like $9,000 is far too cheap. There are long runs. Blaney has long run speed in his car almost every week. Um, and this tends to be a, a distance that Blaney does well at. So I'll get my hands on some Blaney. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of how I see the Fords playing out. All right. Well, since we kind of went back to our old formula of breaking them down team by team, uh, what are the mid-range drivers you like this week? Um, so, you know, kind of touched on um, Cole Custer a little bit at $8,000 on DK here. Um, you know, I don't want to give away all of them. We're going to save some of them for the playbook. Um, you have to read on Saturday because there are some really sneaky good plays here in the mid-range, I think, based on, you know, green flag speed, based on history uh, at this distance, based on history in this track. Um, You know, but some of the cheaper guys, I guess, that we can look at, Michael McDowell has been really good at mile and a half this year. He has at least four top 20s, if not four top 15s at mile and a half this year, and he's 5,800 bucks. Um. So he's a guy that we can look at. I know you said you have some builds with Quinn Half. I'm not going that low. It's just not. Well, here's okay. So you have to understand my reasoning behind it <laughs> is that it's a long race. There are 280 dumb on there on the board, and so if you automatically throw Quinn Hoff in there, and I'm not doing this for I'm making 40 lineups. Hoff is probably going to make five. But, like, if you throw them in, like, for the remaining five drivers, you have an average salary of 9100 And, sure, I'm probably going to have to throw in a guy like Ricky Stenhouse, Matt DiBenedetto. I may even go to, like, Ryan Newman or Daniel Suarez. But it's so I actually sad. like DiBenedetto this week. So do I. And so, like, if I go to DiBenedetto, I have, for my remaining four drivers, I have $9,500 to work with. And I can go with Blaney. I can go with Byron. And I can... Yeah, I'll play your yeah. Kislowski, and then I could also do like Harvick. Or if I go down from Kislowski to Bell, I can fit anybody that I want out that's not named Kyle Larson. And so, like, just just it for a couple lineups. If you just punt, you can get a couple nine thousand dollar potential dominators with a ten k dominator as well. Like it's a four hundred lap race, so I'm appro- so I'm approaching a lot of my builds with. Uh, I'm kind of breaking them up, so I'm trying to do like. Okay, well here let me, let me give you this one. Go ahead. And see what you. I got Larson, Bowman, Blaney, McDowell, Boucher, and De Benedetto. Yeah, that's all right. Well done. <laughs> so. You can, yes, going a few with Quinn Hoff allows you to step up one extra rung above, you know, Blaney into the, um, you know, get another guy in the 10K range like Kyle Busch or Kevin Harvick. Um, or if you want to take the shot on Chase Elliott, you could do that. Um, but I can do like Quinn Hoff, Chris Busher, Ryan Blaney, William Byron, Kevin Harvick, and Chase Elliott. <laughs> I'll take mine. Can we enter these in the same contest and then see which one finishes better? You want to do a head-to-head? <laughs> Look, um, I don't normally play the guy, but I'm just hoping that he finishes the race just not too many laps down and that he can just get 
maybe three and a half to four X value, just because like the salary savings with that you can get with Huff in this race, if you use that money to spend up for two or three more dominators, I like that in a race where there are 280 dominator points. Otherwise, I never really look at Quinn Huff. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I hate. I hate dumpster diving at the Cup Series. But if I'm going to the cheapest guy and I can get three, four, five guys that I feel really good about, I'll eat it and I'll just pray for 20 points from Quinn Huff. Yeah, I mean, I get the idea behind it, right? And theoretically, even if he crashes out, He's starting so far back, he's not going to get you negative points, right? He's just not going to get you value, right? Um, but <laughs> I Granted, just, these, these are only 10% of my lineups, Matt. Right. I mean, obviously, you're not going full sale Quinn Health for 100% of lineups. Well, right? because, like, it's... There, there are the occasional weeks where when you look back at, like, what was the optimal lineup in the big GPP takedown, you'll see a guy like Josh Balicki somehow in there or just because he was, he was a good salary reliever. You know, like, there were a couple instances earlier where, especially at the Food City Dirt Race, Quinn Huff was 4,500 and he put up 25 points. You know, so it's like if, if you just get them with the right dominators – and there are multiple dominators in every race. And yeah, he's he's a punt worth paying down for because you can allocate the points elsewhere. And I'm not saying this will happen. We have a race with 400 laps. I want to kind of cover my ass a little bit and, and have, <clears throat> like I said before, I'm doing 12 lineups with one dominator builds, 12 that are about three dominator builds, and then two, and then for two dominator builds, I'm looking at like 26 lineups. I'm trying to cover like every scenario I can possibly lay out and mixing in different potential dominators. And sometimes, yeah, I'm landing on Quinn Huff just because it's, it's phenomenal salary relief this one week. Yeah. I mean, I'm not opposed to it to try to get in an extra dominator, right? Because it is a week where we absolutely have to have, you have to maximize your, your, uh, you know, lapse led potential right now. If you get one guy who goes out and leads 300, laps and it really doesn't matter right because <laughs> if you don't have that one guy then you're not you know if you didn't have true x five years ago you weren't going to hit anything because that guy <laughs> racked up so many dang points it was insane um so yeah i mean that's a that's a pretty good segue into how are we building lineups i'm probably gonna for cash Probably going to go with two dominators, and everybody else is going to be position differential. Yeah, I'm not playing Quinn Huff and Cash. Right. <laughs> but for tournaments, you're going to kind of have to sell out for laps led, right? That's going to have to be the play. Um, so am I, do, does that mean four dominators? No, probably. Unless the only way you try to sell out for four dominators is if somebody who is mid-tier priced somehow winds up on the pole like a Tyler Reddick last week. Right where he was like seventy eight hundred bucks or something, and was on the pole. Now, did that work? No, not particularly because I think he lost the lead by turn one because he sailed it in there and got passed. Um, but let's say that you know a guy like Christopher Bell gets the pole at eighty six hundred bucks. Can you get four dominators? Yeah, probably. 
right? That's a mid-tier guy. Depends on where everybody else qualifies. But if you get another guy who's under 10K, who qualifies highly, yeah, you could probably fit four Dominators in there, right? Um, but generally for GPPs, we're going to go with Dominators, and the rest of them, we're going to probably go more finish position rather than overall position differential. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it this week. Would you say it's more of a cash or GPP week? I know we usually get that question in the chat from, I think, uh, Ravens Purple. Yeah. Um, I think it's a pretty decent cash week. I think it's a pretty decent cash week. Um, Again, we're saying this before qualifying, so. Yeah, that'll change the landscape of it. It'll change because if somebody, you know, wrecks out or for some reason has to, you know, lose loses their time or doesn't get a qualifying spot or for whatever reason um then that'll change the landscape right but i think based on the fact that there tends not to be that many cautions in this race for like you know incident cautions um it tends to be more of a cash you know cash is fine this week um obviously gpps are always in play all right well Everybody be on the look for the playbooks this weekend. Uh, I'll be in the chat. I'm hoping to be out, out, of work, out of work early on Friday so I can be in the chat leading up to the truck race. I think I think that would make me look and feel pretty good about myself. Um, but definitely be on the look for Matt's playbook. We didn't really – I hope we didn't dive into too many drivers because we do need to reserve some of these guys for the playbooks. Yeah, I think we'll be fine. I withheld some some sneaky plays that I've got up my sleeve here. Yeah, but uh, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you and best of luck to the FA Nation this Sunday. Best of luck, FA Nation.